if I try and think about five years from now, I would say yes, that UX as, as we know it today will be radically changed. Things that deal with rote tasks are definitely going to be something of the domain of AI in the future. Designers, I think, um, the space that we work in is around intuition, empathy, emotion, and that's much, much harder for AI. You know, it, it's a scary time for everyone, right? Like everybody's a little nervous. Um, but the reality is, is that a lot of what we do already is still very valuable in this future world that's already here. Hi, I'm Mike Green, and welcome to Understanding Users, the podcast where I chat candidly with UX design and research professionals from around the world to hear about how they build digital products and services in a user-centered way. Hi, Mike. It's good to see you again. Um, I'm Chris Reardon, formerly the head of Responsible AI at Meta, um, and I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Great to have you back on, Chris, and, and thanks for taking the time. Last time when we were discussing um, you know, AI, we had this fascinating chat around kind of the impact of AI on design as a discipline. But what, it, what I wanted to chat about with you now is really the, the kind of impact on careers. So in particular, you know, how can new entrants into, into this field or people who want to, you know, existing designers and researchers who want to upskill, shall we say, in AI, how can they go about that? You know, how, where would you begin in terms of giving them advice? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I think really you kind of have to look at it from a few different angles. Um, one is if the designer wants to actually design AI products, like what does their kind of career roadmap look like? And then um, just other designers who are going to be impacted by the new tools that AI brings to those disciplines, right? So you might not be interested in designing AI products, but you're still a fashion designer or an architect. And what are the new um, kinds of AI tech that are coming and how is that going to kind of change and augment your role, um, you know, as as we move forward and they become more prevalent. So in the first um, sort of scenario, um, I think design is obviously very different in AI because you're not so much interested in the end UX UI of the, of the product, you're more interested in the intelligence inside the product. So you're really sort of focused on this, um, you know, digital brain, if you will. And how does that think? How does it work? What are the expectations of how it performs? And, you know, much like you do with a, a typical standard app, you do research, you find out what the pain points are of the end users and so on. And you kind of feed those back into those expectations. The difference between an intelligent system and a standard app is a standard app is typically built through a, a design system, right? You come up with a grid and typography and buttons and you know components and patterns and so on. And those are typically pretty static unless you obviously intentionally manually change them. Um, with AI, AI is fluid. It, it moves, you know, contextually and changes its approach depending on what the user is asking of it. You know, if I'm thinking about um, large language models, for example. So you can't stamp on that a style guide system. It's it's thinking, it's changing, it's dynamic, it's contextual. So the way to kind of influence how that works is through frameworks and guidelines of a different kind, um, principles, values, writing up what human values you want the the AI to engender so that depending on different kinds of um, scenarios, it behaves in a way that you think is kind of ethically and morally um, sound, 
right? Um, one of the examples is um, one of the reasons why I came to Meta, I was getting recommendations um, on Facebook that were about an incident that had happened in my life that was quite traumatic. And there was no way for me to um, control those um, recommendations. And eventually they they got wind of, you know, not it wasn't just me, obviously, it was a lot of people were having this issue. And they, they finally started to um, include buttons on the UI that you could kind of turn off this memory and stop seeing it and, and kind of flag it as something as, you know, not being celebrated, you know, something that you wanted to celebrate. And I think the AI itself, if, if AI, you know, becomes more um, forward in the, in the UX experience, it will have to make those decisions at scale. Or, you know, conversely, the user has to be able to give it back advice saying, please stop sharing that thing. And it has to understand what you're saying and, and kind of flag it that way. And so um, that's a different kind of approach than the kind of style guide, old school way of doing it. <clears throat> When you design those um, frameworks, you really want a lot of different perspectives from different communities to kind of advise on that. You're not designing for um, your design team. You're not designing really for your end user. You're designing for society, which is much more broad than that. And one or two or a hundred or even a thousand, even 10,000 users is not enough. Right. So even if you were to get enough research for 10,000 users, that's not enough information to really design for the rest of the world There's you know, close to 8 billion people. So what happens is you actually need proxies in the room who advocate on behalf of those users, um, regulators, civil and human rights experts, and so on often have, um, more clarity around the issues involved in AI, and they'll be able to speak better for the user than the user can for themselves, right? They're aware of regulation, they're you know, aware of different kinds of harms. And so they know how to, you know, touch on those hot topics quickly and work efficiently with product teams to kind of make sure that they don't um, overstep the bounds. So it becomes more of an ecosystem of stakeholders that you're working with rather than just the end users, just focusing on the end user is not enough. The other, the other side of it too is um, the business owner. So shareholders, if you will, anyone who's interested in the business making money um, or growing is also a stakeholder. And if you don't start to think of them as just as important as the end users, you're not going to go very far. It's, it's actually really important to make sure that the business is aligned with what you're doing in the product, because if there's a mismatch there, you're always going to be in conflict and you're never going to actually be able to deliver an ethical solution that really covers, you know, all the bases to the, the expectations of society. So there's, there's a compromise there that has to be, be figured out. And I think the role of the designer is to kind of help facilitate those kinds of discussions. That's really interesting. And I'd want to pick up on the kind of the, the role of the ethicist that we talked about before in just a second. But going back to the designer, kind of what you're saying is because of the nature of AI products, it's less about what it looks like, but it's more about what's going on under the hood. So, for example, ChatGPT's interface is fairly basic, uh, but that doesn't really matter because what you're interested in is what is the, the text that it's generating. So actually, does that then mean that the it sort of 
UI UX designers are less important in this kind of new world. That actually it's the it's it's the you know the people that are involved in creating the algorithm that the sort of development side that that is preeminent. Is that fair to I, say? I think um, that's a that's too early to call right now. But if I if I try and think about five years from now, I would say yes that UX as as we know it today will be radically changed. I do think, you know, just talking about ChatGPT for a second, there's a lot of improvements that they could do to that UI that would make it more trustworthy, right? So, you know, the delusions that we see in ChatGPT could be addressed in the UI where it could flag, um, you know, its confidence rating around certain things that it's sharing with you. So that, that could help already guide you that it's, you know, some of the citations and links and things that it's put into the content that it's sharing with you are, are, are not factual at all or, you know, suspect. So there's definitely ways to make how it creates what it's creating and sharing with you more transparent to give you, you know, sort of clarity on what, what's going on behind the scenes. But yeah, I think, I mean, if, if you think sort of to, it, this is already happening. So there's several AI companies that are already building AIs that build mobile um, applications, right? So you just tell it what you want and immediately you get a functioning prototype. It's not even just, just you know, screen designs, flat screen designs, it's actually functioning um, and it can build the whole stack. And I think that is going to be, the, the speed that that area is changing in is obviously every product team in the world would benefit from that. And so you're going to see the acceleration of that, you know, it's it's going to be crazy. In, in, in a year, I'd say we're going to have, if, if not already, we're going to have plugins for Figma that manage our style guide systems and can, you know, textually build mobile prototypes just from, from prompts. So that would kind of alarm me if I suppose in some ways, if I was a UX designer or starting out in a UX design career with a research hat on as a researcher, kind of what's your view on that? Because... Be that you know the, this very clever systems as you say can create their own UIs etc. But the the human element of kind of how you know what the answers are that come back and how those answers are interpreted by by human beings and kind of what the ethics of that are. There's still an element of need for human. I guess are we all endangered as researchers as well? Is my question. <laughs> well, I mean, we, this is definitely a whole podcast unto itself for sure. But um, if you think about how many man hours go into um, iterating on a, a mobile app. Right. If you could cut that by 50% or 80%, you can spend a lot more time thinking about the why. Why are we doing this app in the first place? And you can get to deeper insights and spend more time on the actual research and less time on the execution. And so, therefore, you know, hopefully the product quality should raise up because you're not moving pixels around, you're not creating radiuses on buttons, you're not deciding between aerial bold and, and italics, right? Those sorts of things are, frankly, you know, not as valuable as how should an intelligent system really think in X, Y, and Z scenarios. So I think when, when you talk about design, I think design is actually going to have to go through a bit of a renaissance in the sense of um, understanding its true value right? It's true value is really making sure that what we're designing works really, really well for people. And that ha that's not going to change. 
I do think even if, you know, I could push a button today and get 20, you know, immediately get 20 versions of a prototype that function in front of me and I can test them. So just think of how quickly we can narrow down to the right one or two um, and, and, you know, get that in front of users and move more quickly and really co-create with users, right? Why not hand the prompt tool to the user and say, you tell me what you think it should be. Right. So, so I think we're going to get much closer to, to, to more nuanced problems with these technologies because we're not, you know, fumbling around in, in pixel grids. Right. It's that, the, the, the important part is really the, the connection with the user and the stakeholders and, and the, the other people that I kind of mentioned previously. And going going on then, or going back rather to the to the career aspect of this. So if I was, you know, let's say I'm a 17, 18 year old choosing my A levels, if it's here in the UK or whatever the equivalent is in the US, or thinking about a university degree potentially, or some kind of path of study for my career. If I think, whoa, I want to get into AI, it sounds fascinating. What would you what would you recommend for me? Well, I think. Um... <clears throat> Things that deal with rote tasks are definitely going to be something of the domain of AI in the future, right? So if if you're trying to learn something from a book and just retain information just for recall purposes, I don't think that that career path is going to be very um, solid in the next five years. I worked on natural language assistance. Um, the, the goal will be to take any kind of role in the world, whether it's a, a doctor, a lawyer, a, you know, wh whatever the role, um, where huge amounts of data already exist, and turn those into AI assistants, right? So where it's a, a recall on fact based or, you know, recorded information, that's going to be the domain of the AI. Designers, I think, um, the space that we work in is around intuition, empathy, emotion, and that's much, much harder for AI to cover off on. So, you know, I think we're safe in the creative space to, to the degree that we'll get tools that help augment and power us up and make us more efficient, but they're not going to be able to replace that kind of intuition that we have. Um, in terms of um, skills, I'd say, um, you know, learning things around ethics and, and you know, policy as well, regulation, um, negotiation, compromise, workshops, um, understanding, you know, you know, research is definitely, you know, critical. So any designer needs to have um, a really, really strong foundation in, in research methodologies. Um, and I think that's going to be the you know, ongoing. Now, there are going to be new you know, roles or evolving roles. So we already have service designers, but I think they're going to become specialized service designers that design, you know, AI workflows for engineers and data scientists. But they're also going to work on the other side of the fence as well for the user. And they're going to, that, that kind of mentality is more like um, a conversation designer where you're trying to think through the sort of random, you know, directions that a conversation can go in and 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 pinpoint areas where ai can actually take action against those conversations so you're connecting it to databases and and automation platforms so that the ai when you're chatting to gpt powered tools they can actually do things for you not just give you content so that kind of thinking through that 
um, if you will, supply chain of touch points is going to be um, more complicated. Um, but having systems thinking, so it's rather systems thinking than systems, you know, using design systems. That's the flip here. Yeah, yeah. And what about uh, people further into their career? So let's say mid-career designers, researchers, service designers who want to make a career pivot into AI. What kinds of roles are there at the moment or what should they be looking out for? Kind of how could they get into organizations offering that opportunity? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, it, it's a scary time for everyone, right? Like everybody's a little nervous. Um, but the reality is, is that a lot of what we do already is still very valuable in this future world that's already here. Um, workshopping, um, strategic thinking, um, you know, designing um, sprints and those kinds of things are all still very important. But it's just that you're having to broaden who's included in those things. You're not just doing it with the design team anymore. You might be doing it with outside experts, or you might be doing it with outside representatives of lots of different communities to make sure that you're designing well for them. So I'm not saying that you suddenly have to go out and get, um, you know, a diploma in something new, because frankly, there's there's not stuff out there that's proven yet to, to help in this space, right? But there, there are lots of great resources. Google has a fantastic, um, you know, AI 101 training um, thing on their website. IBM has some fantastic stuff, as does Microsoft. So there's plenty of spaces where you can kind of grasp the the you know the topics and learn the definitions and things like that to kind of become familiar um you know it's it's still an evolving space and and let's talk about the ethicist now because this is this is a really key thing and we, you've mentioned this quite a few times so what you know should, should will in your opinion will every team have an ethicist need an ethicist and if so kind of or even if not what will their role be how will they you know, what will they be doing in this in this new world? So if if the person I used to work with at Meta, who's the chief ethicist, were in the room, um, I think she would agree with me is that the goal is actually to make everybody an ethicist, right? Or at least have a very um, strong appreciation for ethical thinking. Um, that everybody's born with their own kind of innate um, ethical framework inside them. And really it's trying to, you know, m most people go about their lives not really thinking about that too much. And really what it is, is about being intentional like a designer would and, and kind of trying to articulate that and get it down on paper and get everybody to agree that these are the ethical things that we hope to have in our products, right? And so um, it really is just, again, the designer facilitating those conversations that everybody in the room should have um, that inside them as they're working on what they're doing. And I, and I don't think that people don't. I think that they just don't articulate it well, right? And so it, you might think as, as an engineer that you're coding something that's going to benefit the world, but and, and it may, may, may do on the surface. But if you have something sitting next to your laptop that's, you know, here's a kind of five bullet points of something that helped me think about this, that, yeah, help me interrogate my work to make sure that I'm, representing um, those marginalized communities that we often, you know, are, are often left behind by the world, right? Um, how do we make sure that we prime ourselves every time we go to the, our laptops to do work, that 
you know, maybe maybe there's a two minute you know ritual when you sit down at your desk every day that you just kind of you know prime yourself on. I'm going to try and do the best I can today, and here's some of the things that I'm going to think about as I go through my day. And the more that we can do that, the more I think we'll have a, a positive impact on on the work that comes out the other end. Thanks for listening to this episode of Understanding Users. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Join me again next time when I'll be sharing some more insights from digital design professionals. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centered.